0: death party people we hope you had a very spoopy halloween we researched the hell out of and produced two episodes of the podcast for halloween yes it uh, it seemed doable at the time Uh, yeah but we spent all of our energy getting the massive two-parter out in october which we didn't realize would end up halving our time to get november's episode out right so at first, we were like, um, let's just skip a month. Yeah. We have real-life responsibilities. Yeah. As well as the incredibly important Halloween festivities to attend to. Hell yeah. So that doesn't leave much time for our usual 60 hours of research per episode. Ugh. Or whatever it is that we're up to I think now. it's more. Yeah. But we instead decided to challenge ourselves yet again. We did? (laughs) I think you
1: decided that on your own. (laughs) I decided to challenge ourselves yet again and put out an episode anyway. Even though we were already exhausted and out of time. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And if
0: that means half-assing it, then, well, you know whole asses are overrated anyway. I've seen people sit just fine with no ass.
1: I feel attacked.
0: <laughs> so, this should work out just fine. What could go wrong? I mean, we've done an episode with tons of different character voices and sound effects and gave ourselves an entire month to do it. So now we're experimenting in the other direction cranking out an episode on an extremely compressed timeline. You mean no timeline? <laughs> and uh, just see how it goes strap in folks it's gonna be great (laughs) by the way if you went to our patreon after we did a last minute announcement regarding its existence on the last episode um (laughs) sorry about that we ran into technical difficulties not the least of which was losing two hours we could have had to work on figuring that out to redo editing work that the software decided to lose on us I know we're very will-they-won't-they they with a Patreon, but Scout's Honor! It does exist, and the content does exist, and someday, for a piddling and really quite paltry amount of Earth money, you will be privy to some fun bonus content every month. Hey, even at the lowest level, you will at least get to listen to the f-ing episodes all fun uncensored and sh- <laughs> <laughs> But I don't want to get you too revved up. Just know that it is in the works, and someday this awkward, young, fledgling show will blossom into a beautiful, mature, and self-assured show. And you know what? Even if it still ends up being not so beautiful, it's still worthy of respect and love. (laughs) So what topic can we manage to cover in a short amount of time without risking falling down the deep dive rabbit hole? None of it probably true but um how about a topic so vast that it's impossible to thoroughly cover it in one episode anyway oh that's an interesting choice for a tight <laughs> deadline <laughs> a topic so ancient so ubiquitous and so hard to choose the best of the best of that we'll probably have to take uh, several
1: future episodes to go into more detail on it hmm? not reincarnation again i am speaking about graves Oh, oh, okay. Tombstones, Mm -hmm. mercury
0: thingies for human bones, mostly, and other bones sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) In this episode, we will share with you tales about the inhabitants of some noteworthy graves, including a woman whose life was cut short due to tragic circumstances. (gasps) Uh, Isn't that always the case? Uh Whereupon her grave became yet another one. The story of a man so afraid of being buried alive that he rigged his burial chamber so as to avoid just such a fate. Hmm. A whole community of people living fairly happily amongst the dead, and a dude who might have built an elaborate memorial as a final middle finger to his whole community.
1: <laughs> Classic.
0: <laughs> I'll let you guess which one of those last two is in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Weird-ass graves. You ready for this whirlwind? Slip on your Dr. rubber gloves, and let's dig in.
1: Death Party! Okay,
0: where to begin? Why with the end? Naturally. With death. Yep, you gotta die to merit having a tombstone. Speak for yourself, I'm already working on my tomb. Yeah, I mean, it's not an official rule. It's more like Common practice. Okay. Sure. You can buy a stone or plot ahead of time and make all your morbid plans a la Morticia Adams. If only life were that fair. But eventually your mortal form will inhabit that space, assuming you're going the burial route or some variation thereof. I mean, there's other options, of course. You can get cremated, but while it conserves terrestrial space, it does contribute to air pollution. So pros and cons there. Hmm. And of course, there's aquamation, getting donated to science, having your body shot into space, or whatever those billionaires are actually planning up there with their galactic dick swinging.
1: (laughs) And that amazing and relatively new human composting place up in Washington that is looking like my best option for not getting eaten by bugs, but also not burned up. But that could be its own episode. And this is not that. Right you
0: are, my dear. Right you are. And this topic is definitely more visual than anything, so that should work great for a podcast. <laughs>
1: Perfect.
0: There's not a lot of rhyme or reason to the order of the graves we're covering here. Oh, no. Should we have presented it as a ranked list for clickbaitiness?
1: Hmm.
0: Number four will knock your socks off and leave your jaw on the floor. Sure, with all of our spare time. No, we can just do that in the description for SEO or whatever. Yeah, that'll be better.
1: We do have a lot of ground to cover. Le- ho <laughs> oh, That whole thing was just a setup for that joke, wasn't it? Maybe.
0: This is a really broad subject, so I went for the widest variety I could to keep you from getting bored, falling asleep, or getting shanghaied while you take the vehicular hell that is the Greyhound bus to your Thanksgiving break destination. Then again, if you ask me any trip involving four or more wheels is vehicular hell. I hate driving and being on highways. So yeah, Nestle down into that seat with the weird, outdated, long-wearing upholstery. Try not to think
1: about how it's full of other people's farts. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought about that before. You will next time. <laughs> yeah, I f- will.
0: <laughs> right in front of the screaming child and crank those headphones up until we drown out their shrill, wailing cries and let us begin. Why don't we start with the um, most gravy to the least gravy? Okay, Sounds gravy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all gravy. Okay, the first one seems pretty gravy. It is the final resting spot of an English lass named Kitty Jay, who became romantically entangled with a farmhand. Ooh. This was a couple of hundred years ago, so records aren't great. Oh. In researching it, I found a few sources which ran the gamut from, she was a lover spurned. Oh to, this piece of guy assaulted her. Aww. Yeah. So, the truth is a bit murky on this one, but all of the sources agreed that Kitty J died by suicide as a result of her treatment following this unfortunate series of events.
1: Man, you know, in case you were having a good day or anything.
0: Yeah, because self-inflicted death was a means of death not in line with the whole religion thing, which was quite pervasive at the time.
1: Damn the man!
0: Three parishes refused to bury her in hallowed ground, The solution instead exists to this day. Kitty J's grave can be found in the middle of three intersecting footpaths. A crossroads, if you will. It's kind of jarring to see the picture and imagine you're just trotting along on a dusty old trail, taking in some of the beautiful English countryside, and then BAM! Mounded grave in the middle of your three-way intersection. Apparently this crossroads burial ritual was common enough that sometimes it involved a stake through the heart. Ew. And no religious ceremony is kind of a package deal. Sold, what'll one of those <laughs> cost me? Your soul. So you sold honey <laughs> 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 <What? Low-hanging> fruit. <laughs> um, crossroads were scene is confusing to a risen ghost who couldn't decide which way to proceed.
1: Yeah, that's f***ed up. Like she's not already tortured enough, having been driven to take her own life, but then they're gonna bury her with the intention of keeping her lost and confused forever. That's how I felt before Google Maps, and it's nothing to take lightly, I tell you what. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems
0: kind of rude to ghosts, but hey, don't haunt the messenger.
1: <laughs> I'll haunt
0: whomever I
1: please, thank
0: you. In all fairness, I would be pretty confused if I stumbled
1: upon that one, too. Boy, howdy. It sure does keep traffic down, though. Mm. On my street, they just use speed bumps. But imagine the possibilities of directing traffic flow if you started burying folks smack dab in busy intersections. Mm.
0: So when we talk about suicide... Our point isn't to glamorize death or give us something to look forward to, it's to remind you that death is a natural part of life, and it's something that we all have in common. It will happen to everyone living on this planet right now, no matter how much money or influence they have, and it has happened to many people whose remains reside in the ground under our feet, whose ashes have been dispersed into the air we breathe, the water we swim in, the amusement parks our children visit. Death is all around us, constantly. Its specter looms for many of us on a daily basis. But what makes it so terrifying is it the fear of the unknown yes the fact that it takes our loved ones away too soon yes not soon enough (laughs) that one too consider people who die by suicide like the legend which may or may not be entirely accurate of kitty j whatever happened to poor kitty j the legends agree that she was in such misery that she felt she had no other option than to end her own life what kind of society punishes a person for the misery they could no longer endure And how can we right the wrongs of those who came before us and had no compassion for those desperate for it? At least in her legacy as an outcast, Kitty J has become known by many who might keep her company in spirit. Crossroads burials ended, at least in that area, with an increasing understanding of mental illness, particularly after the 1822 suicide of a what?
1: Hmm.
0: Rich white dude. (laughs) In this case, Lord Castlereagh.
1: Oh, sure. Everything is accepted when it's a rich old white man who does it. I mean, good, because burying people in Crossroads with the intention of keeping their spirit confused and lost forever is f***ed up on so many levels. But still. It's called progress.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't bite the hand that feeds. Another rich old white hand. (laughs) The shriveled doughy old white hand. Feeds you one for every six he has. (laughs) (sighs) We'll get to another rich old white man who was just definitely thinking about himself in a few, but... (laughs) Another mounded grave that looks almost normal but is just a bit different from the other headstones in the area is that of Timothy Clark Smith, a doctor who died in 1893. Dr. Smith was concerned about being buried alive. It's safe to
1: say he was more concerned than most. I also share this fear... Also being cremated alive. Also dying. Mm. Do we have time for me to list all my fears around death right now? Uh, I mean, honestly, if you're that worried about it, maybe just rethink burial altogether? I'm rethinking dying altogether.
0: Yeah, don't hold your breath on that one. That would make me die faster. Yeah, that would do it. I realize this is not an option for religious folks or others observing tradition or what have you, but one of my favorite things is giving advice, whether it's welcome or not. So just <laughs> let me have that one, okay? <sighs> now, as I was saying, safety coffins had become quite a
1: hot potato. Or in the words of kids these days, really neato and swell. Um, yes, that is what whippersnappers these days are saying. Yes. At the time, doctors weren't so great at... Doctoring, or maybe if they had morticians, they weren't so great at morticianing. So people now and then would get, you know, mistakes happen, and mm. folks would be buried alive. Oh. So the entrepreneurs of the time saw an opportunity and started to design safety coffins to allow the undead inhabitants to alert passersby to their undeadness. Hmm. These usually consisted of a tube from the coffin up to the surface, sometimes for breathing while others contained a little string that would tie neatly to a bell atop the grave. Because what better way to alert the world to your being buried alive than to jingle a dinky little bell out in the middle of a cemetery (laughs) plot on the edge of town? Hmm. Another variation involved a little rod that would shoot upward with a feather attached to the end to indicate movement inside the grave. So quaint. I'm sure that worked every time.
0: Yeah, and at a great distance was very visible also, and definitely not mistaken for a bird that had just dropped one. <laughs> yeah, so safety coffins had been around for a few decades before Dr. Smith had decided to up his death game and go out with something even more elaborate. And yes, a safety coffin is kind of like if you, if you really liked room service so much that you wanted it to be available after you died? But instead of bringing you French toast, whoever answers your call for service brings you escape from the grave before you suffocate. (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully before you suffocate in a tiny underground box that is not much bigger than you are. (laughs) What a concept. It's amazing how I can have such crippling anxiety and yet talk about horrifying things like this without... Freaking out. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um. Hey, could you refill my glass? My throat's just getting a little dry.
1: Sure, I just need to go breathe into a bag for a minute. Do you want ice?
0: <laughs> <clears throat> no, thank you. There you go. Thanks. That etiquette book really paid off, by the way. Refreshing. Right, so, a safety coffin. It's like a classic coffin, but with a few tweaks to help the resident narrowly avoid being buried alive. Mm -hmm. And I do mean narrow, because, uh, yeah, all that other stuff that I just said... About being underground and all that? Yeah. So a safety coffin might have a ventilation device like a fan or an air tube that goes six feet up to the surface level, or it will have a wire or string fastened to the coffin resident's hand so that, should they awaken from their non-fatal stupor in a state of absolute panic, because doy, That wire or string on their hand is attached to a bell at the surface and the very attentive and definitely not sleeping night watch person on duty will hear the
1: alarm. Oh, did they have watch persons at night? That makes a little more sense then. Well, I assume so, but probably not
0: always. Hmm. So maybe a casual passerby would act quickly and competently to extricate you from the ground below and you'll live free to die another day. Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Sign me up. As one might imagine, Dr. Smith found this whole setup to be very necessary as he stared down the barrel of his own mortality. So necessary, in fact, And let's be honest, medical knowledge of the era was no match for the many rampant illnesses of the time Mm. that he decided to improve upon the model.
1: Too good for a bit of string, eh? (laughs) Well. Too good to be buried alive, eh? (laughs) It was good enough for your mother and I.
0: (laughs) In addition to the bell and air tube design, he tacked on a hidden staircase that was built underground next to his grave so that he could just, you know, mosey on out of his grave if he woke up all, oh dear me, I seem to have been buried alive. What a quandary. But lo, what is this
1: series of tiered flat surfaces which doth layest before mine eyes? Wow, seeing a Macbeth performance had a profound effect on you. Verily. (laughs) Also, I know it was, what, the 1800s? Mm. But it's surprising how most of the safety coffins of the time relied on other humans coming to your rescue. Oh. Had they not figured out yet that that's not the safest way to do a thing?
0: Yeah. It's still pretty comforting, though. A tomb with an escape hatch and stairwell to use in case of
1: emergencies. Yeah, that part's good.
0: It's your only option if you can't punch your way out, like, in kill Bill. <laughs> Luckily I can. (laughs) Well then, you don't need to worry about any of this. In addition to the graveside stairs, the lid on this dude's coffin was outfitted with a four-foot square window. I bet that
1: hasn't aged well.
0: I like to think of it as a tomb with a view.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but for which side? Ew! (laughs) Yeah. Included in these measures... A man after my own undead heart.
0: (laughs) Dr. Smith had a horizontal window installed at the surface of his grave, six feet above him, and centered squarely on his face. (laughs) Let me repeat that. A horizontal window installed at the surface of his grave, six feet above him, and centered squarely on his face. Small, children, drool-covered stuffed animals securely in hand, visiting their bocce's final resting place nightmares for decades to come? Yes. No. No. This viewing window, which would be right at home in a Clive Barker novel, served the purpose of allowing circus dwellers to check on him to ensure that he was, in fact, deceased. He died in 1893, and to all accounts his death was not contested by anyone, himself included.
1: What a waste. All that work, and he didn't even get to test it out? I bet he's rolling in his grave over that one. (laughs) Well, if he was, we'd hear
0: about it. (laughs) Maybe he got to test it, uh, you know, before it was installed officially.
1: Oh, that's truly terrifying (laughs) to think about.
0: (laughs) Just going down there, checking for weaknesses in the wood, (laughs) giving it a few thumps. Hello, nighters, cr- my friends. seeing how the window looks. The PowerPoint window. Oh, my God. <laughs> Checking the
1: view. Nope.
0: Nope. Nope. Now if you're saying, Eritrus, how could you torment me with this fascinating description of such a curious tomb? How could you torment <laughs> me with... <laughs> I simply must see it for myself. Audio-only
1: format be damned. Nope. I am just fine going to bed tonight not having seen that... Let me save you some trouble, friend. If
0: you're curious to see it, um, don't. You've convinced me. See you later. <sighs> I haven't seen it in person, but I perused a bunch of pictures. Way too many pictures. And trust me, you're not really missing out. In fact, my first impression is it must smell absolutely horrible in that shaft (laughs) you can only see a few inches down the six foot long cement shaft due to moisture and the age of the glass 128 years and counting it's basically a mound with a big square of cement on top and a smaller square of glass inside that and when you look down it nope it looks like the mouth of a chimney and there's a bunch of water droplets clinging to the inside of the glass. Nope. No further obscuring any view of the decaying corpse of any long dead doctors. Ugh. Is this the part where we say trigger warning? Yeah, I think we uh, missed the boat on that one. Gross. There's also a bunch of those weird colors that I associate with decaying organic matter, like mossy green and that rusty
1: orange color.
0: Ew. Those are some of my favorite colors. They
1: would be. I should have eaten dinner earlier, waiting till we're done recording. That was a mistake. Hardly worth a road trip, but if you were to visit Dr. Smith's grave in the state of Vermont, perhaps because
0: you're going champy hunting and might as well make a weekend out of it. Roadside America rates this one as worth a detour. Man, I know Dr. Smith clearly had a paralyzing fear of premature burial, but you know what I'm afraid of? Hmm having a viewing window down to my burial chamber so total strangers (laughs) can try to catch a glimpse of my decaying face on their way to Ben and Jerry's Flavor Graveyard, only to return home later and rate my (laughs) f***ing grave on Google Maps. One star.
1: Couldn't see the face.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Two stars could partially see the face, but pretty gross. (laughs) I thought they had to put makeup on corpses before they finished. (laughs) Uh, (sighs) Yeah, he thought ahead, but not as far ahead as I'm thinking. Pass. (laughs) Hard pass on all of that. Does this mean I will avoid going if given the chance? Yes. No. (laughs) No, it does not. Don't let my aloof nature fool you, folks. I am already looking into other points of interest nearby <laughs> and planning my road trip next time I'm in the Northeast. It'll only add an hour and 20 minutes to your trip if you're driving from New York City to Montreal. Just a little bit of trivia to do with as you will. Only 40 miles, uh, 65 kilometers from the Ben and Jerry's Flavor Graveyard. That's a mere hour drive, just saying. <laughs> the Ben and Jerry's Flavor Graveyard is a real thing, by the way.
1: I love that. That's the only graveyard that (laughs) I will be visiting if I am in the area. If somewhere in England or Vermont is too far for you to venture, you're in luck. We have the internet, and somebody out there has already taken a selfie with just about any weird grave you could want to discover. Probably me. Probably. (laughs) Probably her. But perhaps a little closer to wherever you call home is an uncommonly common grave that you may have stumbled across in your nightly lurkings at the local cemetery. Here and there, in cemeteries from the 18 or 1900s, are various graves surrounded with steel cages that look as if they are trying to keep some kind of monster within. Didn't work. I still got out. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> Surprisingly, with all the zombie movies being made these days, these ruthless-looking iron cages were actually designed to keep people out. Me? They were named mort-safes. Catchy. Right? <laughs> And who would be trying to crawl into a grave that's not their own, you might ask? And who would be trying to crawl into a grave that's not their own? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Why grave robbers, of course. Not only have a-holes throughout the centuries dug up graves in search of the valuables that the dead were buried with, but in the 18th and 19th centuries, not much was known about human anatomy, and doctors were keen to learn. Medical hospitals would pay just about anybody who could produce one for cadavers so that the remains of the dead could be investigated and catalogued. Only fresh dead bodies weren't always easy to come across. After the practice of stealing fresh bodies from the ground after their burial became popular, families or individuals concerned with the possibility of being exhumed at an untimely hour would sometimes pay to have these grave cages constructed to ensure the continued slumber of the deceased. That and, you know, zombies.
0: Another location known for their elaborate graves is Cairo. With a population of over 18 million, these residents sure know how to make the most of a crowded and hectic city. Or, you know, they don't have much choice because, depending on who you ask, you might hear it referred to as a slum. Hmm. Egyptian streets describe the city of the dead within Cairo thus. Between catacombs and mausoleums, beds and ovens have been pushed up against marble. Tombs turned into what can only be described as an impoverished, gated community. No one is certain of the exact population of those who inhabit the city of the dead, though it is assumed there are over one million individuals coexisting in morbid neighborliness with the dead. Displaced due to farmland removal or natural disasters, people have taken to squatting in unseen, claustrophobic crypts and an escape from homelessness.
1: Whoa.
0: I mean, I'm fortunate to never have experienced houselessness, but I would like to think that having a roof over your head even if it's the top of a mausoleum, still beats sleeping in your car? Mm-hmm. At least there's a little more space.
1: It has to be better than sleeping under a bridge. I always wondered about that. When I used to picnic in cemeteries on the regular, I would always try to imagine which crypt I would live in if I suddenly became houseless. Hmm. I wondered why more people didn't choose tidy little cement tombs over places that are worse at keeping the rain out. Unless you're really
0: afraid of ghosts?
1: Oh, that must be it. Then
0: it wouldn't be so great.
1: I mean... Well, joke's on them, because ghosts are everywhere.
0: On the flip side, if someone was using my tomb to live in because they didn't have a better option, I'd be glad that I could still perform some act of public service, even in death. Right? Also, if your tomb is basically a stone tiny house, I mean, come on, do you honestly not expect people to choose to live in it at some point? Exactly! See? See? I'm not a weirdo for thinking about it. I want to see that show on HGTV. Flip my tomb. (laughs) Why is this not a thing yet? Can we do this? (laughs) We're just going to add a little crown molding and some landscaping, and we should be looking at a 10% increase in the market price. (laughs) There's all these dead people taking up prime real estate, and then there's all these living people with no homes. Ah, society. It was bound to happen. Mm. Unlike with Dr. Smith's final resting place, I would encourage you to go to the show notes on our website, deathpartypodcast.com, and click on the Reuters article as well as the Egyptian streets article by Mona Abdu for the few pictures contained in it because this is metal as fuck. Mm. No, but seriously, if you've been cocooned in a warm bubble of privilege like I have and need a reality check once in a while that there are people out there who have it worse than you do, these photos are stunning visual reminders. Not to mention some of these people have been living in this necropolis for decades. Some of them have generations of people living under one roof who have been there. The elders have been there for several decades. It's wild. Um also there's no corpses in the photos so you know. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the tombs and the live people. No worries. You're clear.
1: <laughs> so just depressing. <laughs> I mean, they look like they're having fun. I don't know, making the best of a bad situation. Well, we don't want to keep you all sad thinking about people without homes and how COVID has exacerbated the problem, but if you get the chance to weigh in with your city and vote on supportive housing for those impacted, that's really special. It really can happen to anyone, and aside from the humanitarian aspect, communities can save thousands of dollars per individual by putting people in permanent supportive housing instead of playing catch-up, funding the services that chronic homelessness inevitably costs. Homelessness is not due to lack of homes, but a lack of affordable housing and support systems.
0: Right. Let's turn those boundless, trembling, ugly tears into angry, bald fists. Yeah! As we discuss the grave of John Milburn Davis.
1: John!
0: Mr. Davis had the very good fortune, if I may editorialize, of living for several decades in what must surely be the best town in Kansas, Hiawatha. Never heard of it. If you listened to our Halloween episode, oh. <laughs> you might remember Hiawatha is the town with another noteworthy resident, Mrs. Elizabeth Krebs. Right, right, right. I was there for that. I uh, sure now? <laughs> she was responsible for starting the longest consecutive annual Halloween parade. Yeah. And of course, Hiawatha gives kids the day off if Halloween falls on a school day, which I will never not be jealous of, regardless of how old and past my trick-or-treating prime I am. Ooh. I took some candy. When we went on Halloween night, it was like 10 p.m. and people had left bowls out mm-hmm. for COVID. I was like... They probably don't want all of this extra candy. There was a full-size Fifth Avenue in one of those, bu- a full What the f*** is Fifth Avenue? But it's like, uh, it's probably, you know, Some like.
1: old people candy. Yeah. Got candy got bars left over from the 80s.
0: No, it's from like 1910 or something. It's from like when they christened Fifth Avenue. And now people shall walk upon you. And also there's candy. It's, um, it's yeah, well, you know, it's old because the wrapper is
1: brown. <laughs> with like red text and white or something. Um, they owned the Fifth Avenue candy bar factory when it went out of business. They just have like warehouses full of them that they give away every mm. year.
0: Like spam. Mm-hmm. That like spam World War II thing where there's just like spam left over from... rations. Yeah. Yep. It's, yeah. Well, and you also know it's old as hell because it's like a
1: bunch of peanuts and nougat. Oh, I think so. it's like a payday. Oh, I used to get those for like 98 cents at the gas station when I was a kid. Yeah, they probably still have the same ones there at that same
0: gas station waiting for you to come back. Gross. Because no one has bought one since. Mm. By the way, this episode is sponsored by Fifth Avenue. (laughs) Do you like candy? Do you know
1: what street you're on? Great. You're eligible to enjoy Fifth Avenue. (laughs) Are you older than a (laughs) hundred?
0: Do you remember the Archduke Ferdinand getting shot? (laughs) And also, that makes you hungry? Fifth Avenue. (sighs) Okay, back to John Milburn Davis. Mr. Davis moved to Hiawatha in 1879 at the ripe old age of 24. Shortly thereafter, he married Sarah Hart. Sadly, Sarah's family did not approve of the union. But clearly, like cola and milk, their pairing was meant to last as the two started their own farm, prospered, and were married 50 years. Wait, what? (laughs) I said their pairing was meant to last, like that most delicious combination beverage that is roughly 50% cola
1: and 50% milk, or to taste. I... First of all, that sounds gross, and second, I'm pretty sure that is not a thing. What? Just like that other thing, what was it you were talking about at the pumpkin patch? Funnel Mm. cakes covered in pizza sauce? No, (laughs) no, they're not funnel cakes. They're called fried dough.
0: And yes, they're covered in pizza sauce and Parmesan cheese, damn it.
1: Yeah, those aren't a thing either. I don't know who's (sighs) been putting one over on you back in Boston. Don't. (laughs) Knock it till
0: you try it. It's basically just a melted float. Damn. But the pre-melted part is the good part. No. No love for the shortcut cola flow over here. Listen, that irresistible concoction kept me nourished throughout childhood. I'll have you know. I don't think legally you can use the words cola and nourished in the same sentence. Well, that sure would explain why I'm lacking all of my natural teeth and my bones are nearly as hollow as a bird's. But, like whole asses, teeth and solid bones are overrated.
1: (laughs) Who can fit through a male slot better than you?
0: Nobody. Nobody can, that's who. Anyway, Mr. Davis and his wife led what Atlas Obscura referred to as a prosperous farm life, whatever that means. They birthed the most cows or something? I can only assume they were like corn farmers.
1: So not cows then.
0: And corn was all the rage in Kansas in the late 1800s. I'd believe it. I think it still is. And maybe the white settlers were like, holy guys, have you tried this stuff called corn?
1: It is absolutely wild. It will knock your socks right off. Did they even have socks back then? Or did they just put burlap sacks on their feet or something?
0: (laughs) Yeah, probably. That was the precursor to modern socks. Uh, (laughs) Sacks. Sacks. You can put butter on it. You cannot put butter on it. You might even try putting sugar on it. Sugar? I don't know. What else is there to do? Play Mm. with a hoop and stick. That's true. Every corn-eating experience can be a new corn-eating experience. And the Native Americans were probably like, um, yeah, guys, we were here first, and we've cultivated corn for, like, kind of forever. Any credit over here? Mm. And the settlers were like, do you hear someone talking? I don't hear anyone talking. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, that's all a joke. I don't know how popular corn was, when its popularity soared, or how John Milburn earned his fortune exactly, despite reading several articles on the topic. (laughs) And of course, the takeover of Native American lands actually involved a lot more bloodshed and a lot less treating Native Americans like humans. Yeah. But this is more of a comedy podcast than a history podcast. Not today, it's not. (laughs) So I reserve the right to make up shit. I think it will make someone guffaw, titter, and chuckle, and hopefully isn't interpreted as punching down to marginalized people who continue to be marginalized due to systemic racism.
1: Mhm. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
0: By the way, if you were curious about systemic racism perpetrated against the Native Americans, read Killers of the Flower Moon. They don't teach you about that kind of shit went down in that book at school.
1: Yeah, your school nurse isn't equipped to handle you after that <laughs> carnage. No, she is not.
0: FYI, it's a rough read, a very rough read. But if you're looking for a historical true crime book that is also a comprehensive telling of how Native Americans were treated by white people back in the early 1900s, definitely check it out. It was written by a white dude. Isn't it always? (laughs) But apparently he had help from contemporary Osage tribe members. But back to Mr. Davis. Unfortunately for him, Mr. Davis became a widower in 1930 when his wife Sarah died.
1: Is this all the candy I have left?
0: initially he memorialized her passing as so many grieving husbands have done before him with a balls-to-the-wall orgy fest what sorry just seeing if you're still paying attention jeez (laughs) he memorialized her passing with a simple headstone that was symbolic of the quiet life she and her husband had led despite the vast fortune they had accumulated
1: yeah sure he was probably taking that fortune down to the racetrack instead What happened next was motivated by unknown factors,
0: but there has been much speculation over the years. It started by replacing her stone with a marble statue.
1: Probably bet on the right horse down at the racetrack. Then he
0: commissioned building the giant 52-ton stone canopy overhead.
1: Whoa, to keep birds from pooping on the marble? I mean,
0: definitely would achieve that purpose. And then, of course, it escalated even more from there. You know how collecting things goes. First you buy the rooster pot holder. Then at the next yard sale you go to, there's a cute little rooster trivet. What harm could it do to have a couple of rooster-themed items in my kitchen? You ask yourself as you hand over 16 quarters to your smiling neighbor in the lawn chair. <laughs> and it just snowballs from there until eventually the internet work is secret santa you a sous-vide cooker cozy in a quilted rooster pattern. And when your brother-in-law comes to visit, he asks why your kitchen is covered in cocks. That is so specific. (laughs) (laughs) By the end, Mr. Davis's memorial had not one, not three, not even eight, but 11, count them, 11 hand-carved, personally commissioned lifelike statues of himself and the late Mrs. Davis. Wow. That is unnecessary, some would say. Most of the statues were made from Carrara marble by Italian sculptors and shipped back to Kansas when they were complete. Now, one Carrara marble hand-carved Italian sculpture is expensive, but 11 of them? Uh, yeah, that wasn't exactly cheap. Mr. Davis was spending vast sums on slabs of stone dedicated to a dead person, And meanwhile, less affluent Americans, meaning most of them, were facing abject poverty and way too much time on their hands due to the 1929 stock market crash, which precipitated the Great Depression, which precipitated a sharp uptick in unemployment, among other crappy economic factors. In other words, while people were boiling shoe leather for food, and the only entertainment they could afford was counting the dust particles in the air, Mm -hmm. Mr. Davis decided to spend or squander, depending on who you ask his many, many green paper rectangles on this memorial. This highly visible flaunting of his money failed to impress many of the townsfolk in Hiawatha at a time when the town didn't even have the money for a hospital. Oh, lovely. Mr. Davis spent roughly 200000 in 1930s dollars. Uh, any guesses?
1: Not a clue.
0: Over $3 million in today's money. Oh,
1: my God. On the memorial
0: in the end. And by in the end, I mean his end. But... Not his rear end. Death. His death. When he died. Okay, great. Rude. In fact, the best way to describe how the townsfolk felt about this man spending his fortune this way during the Great Depression is pissed. (laughs) Straight pissed. (laughs) So pissed. In the midst of all this statue-building frenzy, community leaders approached Mr. Davis to ask him to donate money toward projects that would benefit the whole town for decades to come. Like, uh, I don't know, a hospital. Yeah, they don't even have a hospital, Davis. However... And though he was fully aware the town hated his stinking guts for the direction he was funneling his money, he declined all such requests. Prick. Having no children to bequeath his fortune to, Mr. Davis went to great lengths to ensure that all of his money was spent before he bought the farm. Not an actual farm on this planet, you know, because that's how he got rich in the first place. That sweet, sweet farm money. Before he kicked the bucket. Not an actual bucket, but like a proverbial, I don't know where that saying comes from anyway, it's really obtuse. Maybe fodder for a future episode. Anyway, he spent all his money before he died and for what? A bunch of marble with a little granite mixed in. Because variety is the spice of life. Or in this case, death. He didn't think that maybe one day he would need a hospital? Typical. Some people speculate that with no family of his own, he was determined to rid himself of his entire fortune to keep his wife's relatives from getting a penny of his money. Remember, they didn't approve of him marrying their daughter, who was socially much better off than he was at the time of their marriage. Hmm. The years didn't do much to soften his in-laws' opinions of him, and it is surmised that by the end of his life, these statues were a big f you to those very same in-laws who would have been next in line to inherit his wealth since the Davises never had any children.
1: Or maybe he just really wanted to support the stonemasons of Italy. Aww. Others speculate that Davis was motivated by guilt. He was apparently so
0: jealous that during the three plus decades that he and Sarah had lived on the farm, he had rarely let Sarah go into town alone or hang out with the neighboring farm wives. Why those women were married to farms, we'll never know. Now, realizing too late how hard that must have been for Sarah, he was making it up to her with this very expensive post-mortem tribute.
1: A girl can dream.
0: A third theory is, I think it's safe to call it the rooster kitchen tchotchke theory. <laughs> Mr. Davis got so swept up in the utter joy and exuberance that surely comes with collecting personally commissioned hand-carved lifelike statues of himself and the late Mrs. Davis that the urge to collect them spiraled out of control and his sculpture thirst could never be slaked after the initial sculpture. He continued to chase the sculpture dragon until the end. In the words of one of those Enron ass- This lifestyle isn't like a faucet. You can't just turn it off.
1: Farf. You can though, actually, you ass- That one has always stuck with me from
0: Enron, the smartest guys in the room. Mm -hmm. Hey, it happens to all of us. I started out with one thimble, but wouldn't you know, the thimble collecting bug got me. And now I have a thimble collection that Tom Thumb would be envious of. Get it? Mm -hmm. Tom Thumb? Mm -mm. Because thimbles go on your thumb. And Tom Thumb had three of them because he had two thumbs on his hands. And then... His name was Thumb, so that's three thumbs. (laughs) Uh,
1: I don't remember any of that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I I never collected thimbles. Well, now I'm always going to remember you as the friend who collects thimbles. Guess what you're getting for the holidays this year? It's not an embroidered rooster sous vide cover, I'll tell you that much right now. Dang it! If all this money that some might be
0: tempted to say was wasted on a bunch of carved rocks has you siding with the good people of Hiawatha. Damn straight. Who did, after all, give us their sensational Halloween parade and probably really could have used that hospital. This may offer some small comfort. Although it wasn't widely known, Davis gave away tens of thousands of dollars, little by little. Not only that, but his memorial now draws tens of thousands of visitors each year from around the world. So in a roundabout way, the memorial did end up financially contributing to the town of Hiawatha. Hmm. Tourists gotta have those blue plate tuna melts damn it and cola milk drinks to wash them down it's
1: not a thing <laughs> don't this, ask for a cola milk
0: <laughs> and if the waitress says that's not a thing how could you ask me for that you tell her hey you want me to take my sweet sweet tourism dollars to the next three million dollar memorial the next town over <laughs> So go ahead and give the town of Hiawatha some of your sweet, sweet tourism dollars if you decide to swing by and check out this absolutely outrageous memorial to two bougie white people. <laughs> but don't expect to have the place to yourself.
1: Or to get a cola milk. Yes.
0: <laughs> you know what? Let the people decide for themselves. Say, <laughs> jeez, uh, Not even giving it a chance.
1: like us if we haven't traumatized you yet if you want more of our bizarre dad joke brand of whatever this is then help us help you get more of what you want by giving us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts and Tell your friends if they're as weird as you are they might like us too if you want to join our facebook group to find other weirdos like you or follow our facebook page or instagram we're on all of those at death party podcast And we're on Twitter, at DeathPartyPod, just to be difficult. If you want to email us your amazing idea for an episode, love letters, hate mail, fan art, or your soul. You're not really using it anyway. You can send those to us at DeathPartyPodcast at gmail.com. Bye!
0: Bye! I like my men like I like my graves. Spooky. Physically distant by a space of at least six feet. <laughs> and visibly unattended by other women. <laughs> oh. <laughs>